This is a production of the GSD Podcast Network. And from the heart of North America, it's time to answer the burning question, what the hell does Mike Bisson do? This community economic development podcast is part of the GSD Podcast Network. And now, you know him, you love him, you like to live without him, Mike Sisson. Ah, uh, yes, time for another one of our podcasts, and I'm really excited for this one because um, I, I've been I've been thinking about this for a long time. So, um, welcome to uh, another episode of What the Hell Does Mike Thyssen Do? Uh, it's the economic development podcast that spans boundaries and, and uh, tries to be solutions-oriented. What we're really talking about is how might a community be best prepared when there's a knock on their door for growth. Um, I said I'm excited about this because um, entrepreneurship has been something that I've been screaming from the highest rooftops ever since I got into economic development. And um, those who might not know my history, I got into economic development prior to realizing that communities are part of economic development. I'm sure I got the hardcore um, education for it and uh, learned some practical things and applied things, but uh, one of the biggest things that I've learned is just how much uh, how much uh, is driven by people working out of their garages or people with ideas that they want to uh, percolate and 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 generate uh, income with. You know that some people look at each other and go, "Boy, you know, I could really make a business out of this." Um, and so it plays so well into the economic uh, development world. Uh, it, it, it really does fit well with um, a, what a lot of economic developers should be doing. Uh, true story. I uh, had been uh, learning a lot of this for, for a few years, and then I moved to another state. And the first thing I did was get with a local economic developer. And uh, I sat down with him and... and uh, I knew kind of right away he was pretty old school, um, and I started talking about entrepreneurship, and he had he had no interest whatsoever in entrepreneurship, and uh, I asked him pretty point blank, don't you think that's the key to some uh, job growth in a community? And uh, he looked me square in the eye, and he said, no, I think what we really need is to um, uh, go after a, a larger manufacturer, try to bring in, you know, four or five hundred jobs. Um, and, uh, and, and we can, that's my focus. And to me, I think you're missing a huge demographic and I'll, and I'll see if I can get some validity later, uh, when I invite my guest in. But, uh, to me, I tell people the largest employer in your community, I ask them, what's your largest employer in the community? And typically they say it's government or it's the school or the healthcare, um, pieces like that. I say, no, your biggest employer is small business. Because when you think about it, all your small businesses together, how many jobs that creates uh, in your community, and that helps vitalize your community a lot. So that's where that's where I'm uh, that's where I'm at. And so I would shout entrepreneurship as as the essential key. I'll shout it from the highest rooftop if I have to, uh, as the driver. Um, you need to start looking at your internal folks that are there and then try to help them get to a place where they can launch a business or help them as they're a small business get to a next level if they, if, if they need to grow. Um, I know it's not as easy as it sounds. I know that typically during, uh, sometimes I would get a call uh, during, during the recession a few years back, I remember getting five or six calls a week, basically someone saying, well, I want to open up a business. 
I have an idea. And even that part is, well, you know, <laughs> let, let's talk about this. Do you have time, talent, and treasure? Do you have, uh, have you have you sought out the three Fs in order to uh, even so much as remotely think about funding your business, which is friends, family, and fools? Um, there's, there's a lot to think about before you really launch a business. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I'd like to bring my guest on. Um, I'm, I'm really excited by this because he's got a lot of experience in entrepreneurship and um, can really provide a good holistic view in terms of process and how we can really look at our community and how we can build our own uh, build our own base while trying to attract others. And uh, his name is Steve Bryant. He's the executive director of the Gale and Bill Cook Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, he also serves as a regional director of the SBDC. Um, uh, and he, he's here to talk about that office and how, how they help small businesses, uh, which may surprise to learn that small businesses uh, can have up to 500 employees. So, and uh, he's very good with trends in entrepreneurship, and, per, and perhaps he could share a success or fail, failure story. So, Steve, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to, to have you here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great, great. And we're going to uh, hopefully have a little fun with this, but how'd you get into this entrepreneurship business, and how, how'd you land where you are today? How did this happen? Um, well, if I charted out this course, I never would have gotten there, oh. for one thing. Um, I have political science degree from IU. I worked for Dick Luger and Dan Coates for okay. a few years up in Indy, got my government service in, and then decided to make some money. Uh, and, and I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Ended up working for a you know, series of, of nonprofit organizations that were kind of in technology development, so helping people in the garage trying to commercialize some, some technology of some kind. So I've been working with entrepreneurs for a heck of a long time, and most of them you know, had a great idea and a lot of passion and moxie, but they didn't have a lot of resources to do it, and what I found was I'm a, I'm a good connector. Okay, you need this, you need to talk to these three people, you need this, you can talk to these three people. Um, and I had taken a ride with a startup company in Bloomington called Bioconvergence. They did, uh, uh, they helped people develop drugs for uh, clinical trials. So I, I, I'm running a clinical trial on cancer, I need a thousand bottles of this, not, not 20, 20 million of them, okay. which is what you know a Baxter or a large contract manufacturer would do, um, and we would you know, put all that information in and all the detail together to create the drug, make sure it's tested right, stable, put it in bottles, vials, and syringes, and ship it off to a hospital site for a testing. Um, and I was their sales and marketing guy from startup, so they had no sales when I got there. So talk about being entrepreneurial. The good news is somebody else started the company, and it was their money. It wasn't mine. Right. So I got the luxury. <laughs> it's nice to spend other people's money. It certainly is, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and when I left five years later, it was about a $5.5 million company. It was growing okay. and doing well, and I had done my my thing, which so That was makes great. a good line item on a resume it when does. you think about it. But yeah. that gives you the valuable experience. So I guess you know that's that's a pretty cool success story. Yeah. Of how you've been able to do it. I was really fortunate to get that opportunity yeah. to do it. I mean, I, I never saw, thought of myself as entrepreneurial nature, but the CEO of the company said, look, you know, you, you have never met a stranger. That's what I want. Somebody's not afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody and talk about what we're doing. And um, parlayed that into Ivy Tech, you know, back in 2010, the Bloomington campus was... That's the Ivy Tech's Indiana's community college system. It is. Yeah. Okay. We have, you know, multiple campuses around the state, but the Bloomington campus wanted to start an entrepreneurial studies program. Well, we had a business administration, two-year associate's degree program, but it had nothing about small business as a focus in there. And uh, there was a whole community of people looking to, you know, recognize Bill and Gail Cook for all they've done for, for Indiana, for certainly Bloomington, Monroe County. Um, and, you know, they weren't really interested in, in, in parades and, you know, bronze busts around town. But sure. you know, we had the idea of putting an entrepreneurial studies program together. And 
would they be willing to lend their name to it to give it a little bit of oomph to get it sure. going? And they said yes, and I said I'm in. You know? All right. So my job was to come in and, and what do you what does this program need to look like? You know, I mean, and, and what I way I explained it, and the way Mr. Cook explained it was, hey, I want I want a just do it center. You know, if somebody wants to study See, yeah study entrepreneurship, great, create a mm-hmm. bunch of classes for them so they can figure out before they start if they're, they're going to mm-hmm. lose money and if this is really what they want to do. But if they want help today, help them today. You know, because time is money. You know, people want to move on their passion, help them move forward fast. Sure. Well, and, and you've described um, uh, Bill and Gail Cook probably to a T in terms of servant leadership. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've, um, I've kind of alluded to this on a couple of other episodes. I've been waiting for a leadership episode. Mm-hmm. But what I want to do is find the right sort of servant leader that can really take something and drive it. And you do need leadership for entrepreneurship. And um, this is a great example. So hopefully I'm going to do a leadership one, and that would be a great example yeah. of, uh, of, of leadership. So what, what other skills have you been able to hone that helps businesses or do what you do? Yeah, I think a lot of what we do is just ask people questions that they don't know to ask themselves. And because, I mean, 80% of what I do throughout the day of the week is talk to people who have a great idea that aren't started yet, and they're at some point of making a decision to move forward to incorporating a business to getting going. And there's a process. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole group of, of information that they really need to be asking themselves. I mean, there are all the elements of a bit traditional business plan or, you know, the business model canvas is something that's kind of new to help people identify customer segments and where how many of these hundred people I'm talking to would use my product, might buy it, right. what would they pay? And you kind of want to know that before you get into right. it. Well, uh, some entrepreneurs don't know the financial side of No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's actually probably the area that most people need the most hand-holding on. Yeah. You know, how to incorporate through the state is pretty easy. If you've never done it, I mean, obviously you need, you need some information, but uh, I can help people set the business up overnight. But it's the looking at the financial projections, what's the market looking like, is it going up, is it going down? Who are your competitors? Uh, how are you going to market this with little to no money when most people start? So those kinds of things are pretty common, and it's, it's easy for us to ask those questions and then be able to say, oh, gosh, I'm glad you asked me that because I never would have thought of it. And I'm amazed by how many small business owners who have been very successful have said, you know what, man, I wish you were there six months before I started this business. You would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of heartache on some things that I did not do very well. Sure. So sure. we often bring those new people with ideas to the people who've kind of been there, done that, because they'll tell you what not to do because right. they've done it many times and screwed it up. <laughs> right. So let me lay my cards out on the table. The word entrepreneurship, yeah. it is such a $50,000 word. Right. Why, is it, why does it scare people? What's your definition of, of entrepreneurship and why does that keep people away from being I find people being successful, not being very successful, just because they use that and go, well, I don't know what that is, so I'm going to give up. Right, yeah. And again, there's there's a difference between a, running a small business and being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is somebody who's passionate about a lot of things, sees a lot of problems to be solved, and can't figure out all the ones in order they want to do. So their job is to be thinking about the next big thing while they're working on the one they have now. So it's that continued okay. taking risks and following things and seeing problems and trying to figure out how to make those things work. Um, you know, Bill Cook, and we're talking about him, you know, certainly he started a medical device company, but his first business was developing shot glasses with pictures of nude women on the bottom. Of them. See, now that would be a, a business that I can... Yeah, yeah. well, until the uh, shot glasses you know, didn't form well and started curling and they yeah. closed the door and closed the P.O. box, shut off the phone and <laughs> sold the inventory off. Yeah. But you, you also described failure. Right. And that's something that we have to talk about in terms yeah. of, you know, it's okay to fail, yeah. 
folks. You just have to pick yourself up and move on. Or right. what, what, what do you say to those? That, and that, that's what separates yeah. the entrepreneur from the small business owner. I I mean, the small business owner may, may have a one shot and done, it didn't work out, and I'm done. I'm just going to go work mm -hmm. for somebody else the rest of my life. An entrepreneur is going to keep going. I mean, they're going to find something else they're going to plow their time and, and efforts into. And again, you get some entrepreneurs who are so successful with one thing, and then they start on the next three, and the the first thing that made them successful didn't work. Right. You know, it kind of it kind of failed along the way, and you see that happen quite often. Um, thinking of people who've owned restaurants and have gone in to do a new restaurant concept, and well, the, the, their flagship restaurant all of a sudden started to suffer because they're not there every day anymore. Right. They're working on this other thing, and, and I've seen it many, many times. Right. Uh, and then there's other people who can juggle all of those and make it work. And a part of it's just having a strong team around you that can, you know, continually make sure the businesses are operating sure. efficiently. So, do you do any team assessing in terms of putting together management staff or anything like that for some? Yeah, businesses? I mean, we, we we talk about who's going to be doing the work. You know, how are they organized? Have they thought about really what they really need in terms of skill sets? Because the entrepreneur may be very good at sales and you know the product and they're passionate about the market and the environment or whatever it may be and they have no interest in talking about the money insurance taxes okay well maybe your team needs to have somebody with that skill set on it or sure. honestly what i usually tell them is just rely on your banker your lawyer your insurance agent because those are the people that are going to keep you you know going when, when well, you don't know what to do and out, out yeah. of jail and certainly out of jail <laughs> Very important. Yep. <laughs> yep. Got to pay those taxes, folks. Oh, yeah. But we, but we, like I said, we, we often talk about who's going to be on your team. You know, and again, yeah. it, it may be a family business where it's going to be mom and dad and the son and daughter, or you know, you've got okay, I, I need a staff of twelve, and I need right. somebody to handle HR. I need somebody to handle the finance. I need somebody to handle you know product development and delivery, right. manufacturing, shipping, whatever that is. Can you have you identified that yeah. individual? Or well, and the family's got to be at least solvent enough to where they all don't get thrown into jail. Because who's going to bail them out? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And many all times right. it's a family member who's taking over a business from somebody yeah. who's retiring. We deal with that a lot. And right. And sometimes they don't want to do it. Right. You can tell they're just they're not into right. it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about legacy businesses real quick. How does a community? Um, how does a community? Can a community identify? Legacy businesses where, you know, the shop owners or the storekeepers or the business owners, you know, they're about ready to retire. Is there kind of a sweet spot that maybe economic developers can can use or deploy? Or have you seen any experience where there might be something out there for communities to use that yeah. says, look, don't shut your doors. Let's see if we can try to someone to take over the business and elevate it. Yeah. Small um, uh, town managers, elected officials, I mean... They're often getting the ear of business owners because they're talking to them about many things throughout throughout the day. And, you know, if I'm a smart one of those elected officials, town managers, economic developers, chamber director, I'm talking to these businesses about sure. what's happening in their business. Okay. Maybe they, they tell them, hey, I'm going to retire in a year. I don't have anybody. I'm just going to shut the doors. Well, the town manager doesn't want an empty storefront and right. certainly does the person that's renting that space most likely. So could you prepare yourself within a year to sell it to somebody else? And advertise that. So um, one thing that we do through um, the Cook Center, Small Business Development Center network, is we can do a business valuation. So we can give you an honest, independent assessment of what the business is doing, how it's performing based mm -hmm. on based on two to three past years of sales. So sure. is, it, is it going up? Is it going down? Sometimes it goes down for a reason, and it's a very good one, and there's ways to improve it. Uh, so we can give somebody at least a baseline to start with to talk to their banker, their attorney, or a business partner or family member, and then go kind of shop it around. Because otherwise they just close the door and sell the inventory if it's a retail sure. shop, for instance. Well, it would be nice if somebody else was very interested in that, but they never knew you were selling it. Right. They just know you're gone And now. before you know, you get, right. you know, oh, the door shut? Or you have an employee that would do mm -hmm. it, and they don't have, you know, they right. don't have deep pockets to buy the business. Well, maybe there's a way to transfer that through a partnership in some way that, yep. okay, yeah, you retire, but you still have some... 
stake in the business for a period of time until they can buy it from you officially. Yep. Or, yeah. So I think that's a great tip for economic developers that you brought up, that most economic developers have a business retention and expansion uh, program. But mostly that's to their 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 tier one or tier tier two industries. Sometimes they miss those small businesses. So, you know, I know it's more I know it's more work for an economic developer. But could they find someone, a local elected official or a town manager or somebody to kind of help foster that, right. and and let the economic developer know that that uh, you know this business might be closing because, you know, Joe and Sally are retiring after 40 years take, do, taking care of this business. Yeah, two years Well, let's ago. send them off nice and nice and well and, you know, give it to someone who can keep it going and, and let that be kind of a legacy, hence have, legacy entrepreneurship. If you have a bright young student coming out of high school or college and they're looking yeah. for something to do and they can't find a real job they want and they'd mm-hmm. rather take on something of their own, well, here's a way to kind of build sure. them into something like yep. that. Connecting K through 12. Yeah, I yeah. think you, you probably know Scott Rudd, who's with um, yeah, town, Brown, town yeah. manager in Brown, Brown County, County yeah. Nashville. Well, he, he's the one that brought this to our attention a couple of years ago. He said, Steve... My biggest concern with Nashville, and you've all been down that strip, and there's a bunch of shops and restaurants and retail operations there. You know, it's a separate tourist from the money thing, which is good, which is great. It's great for their economy. Well, he said, you know, 80% of the people who own these shops are retirement eligible now, and none of them have a strategy for exiting. That's pretty scary. It is. I mean, it was alarming to me. I was like, well, if that's the case, well, how many other towns in, you know, southern Indiana have this same issue, and what could we do about it? Well, Mm -hmm. the business valuation is one tool to at least give somebody, you know, a, a, a... set of information to have a conversation sure. about a partnership so it's all legit. Right. Or have someone like Scott or um, I know Galena, Illinois or Madison, mm-hmm. Indiana. I mean, they thrive on downtown. It's like it's like a mall. you got to thrive on those businesses being full. Right. You're almost taking over as a mall manager to market, mm-hmm. you know, so why not market to the next generation of entrepreneurs to take it? take a business and elevate it. So Yeah, so th- I think there is a strategy there. And you, you mentioned small business being yeah. really an area people don't think about in economic development because they're used to going after the larger manufacturers and trying to bring mm-hmm. bigger jobs in. Well, you know, if you've got 300 small retail shops and that all hire 5, 10 people, you've yeah. got a, a couple of pretty good sizable businesses. 300 so, times 3 is, that's, that's a, you know, Yeah, you, know, you forget about this backbone yeah. and, you know, hey, you know, the, the person down there that just does the floor, florist shop. Well, yep. Okay, well, if you don't have a florist shop or you don't have enough of them in right. your area, I mean, you can look at some of the data, the retail data of communities and say, where are people spending their money? You know, and there are some... Uh, algorithms that you know, through government data, Bureau of Labor Statistics, things where they'll tell you from a retail standpoint, your town of your size with this population, this mix of industry should have more or less of this based on another okay. town of your size. So we call it leakage, you know, leakage right. reports. And um, a lot of times it's telling you, hey, well, you don't have any auto dealerships in the core of downtown within a mile. Well, maybe that's for a good reason. Mm-hmm. You don't want those, but maybe you can have three or four more restaurants. Okay, sure. well, maybe three or four more restaurants is something you could focus on you know, in your community right. to build small business. Or, um, and I know, I know your office helped me a little bit in trying to identify certain clusters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, if I have a cluster that I want to see if that's viable for me to go mm-hmm. after for a business attraction, mm-hmm. um, you know, can, can, is there, is there a need and is there a critical mass? And uh, the SBDC resource, mm-hmm. you know, is helping me build that case study, right. the business case. To actually go and target that cluster for business attraction, and we can run those reports for you for free because yeah. we have the access to these government databases. Yep. And that's and that's an incredible helpful. service that most economic developers should really know about. 
actually most local officials should really know about is yeah. the, 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 the vast resource. Well, in most small towns, they don't have a business broker who's out there looking for the buyer and the seller. I mean, there, there are some around. There's certainly some in Indianapolis and Evansville, right. but I don't know too many in between who, you know, right. that's their job. Because I, I, I don't have people calling me saying, hey, I'm going to sell my business today. Sure. I have people coming to me saying, hey, I'm trying to sell my business and I don't know where to start. And okay, yep. but at some point... Okay, how do you how do you market the thing? Yep. You know who and usually who the the larger city has a staffer. Some some I'm going to say new school economic developers have a staffer that do precisely that. And then in the rural areas, it's usually the Lido right. that is that broker. Yeah, because they're coming to find you. that resource. Yep. Yeah, they're coming and, to you to have that conversation. And, or the uh, elected official, the exactly. town manager. Hey, what do I do? I don't know where to. I've yeah. never sold a business before. Yep. Here and there. <laughs> but so. I'm, but next year I'm done. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. retired. <laughs> so it's either shut the doors or give me give me a kid to. Yep. To foster. Have you run into problems with the owners, um, with the new person coming in and taking in? The owner just wants to hang on and say, you got to do this and this? Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to work that out at yeah. the at the outset. I mean, you, you need to figure out how you're transferring the management mm-hmm. and all of that. You know, if they're still going to be an investor, then you have to have an operating agreement that explains clearly what people are doing and what they're not doing. Yep. Because you will get into that. Hey, I'm making the management decisions now, even though you did it for the last 30 years. You didn't know. Uh, my decision is final. I'm now 51% owner. You know, you, you, your doesn't matter, even though you are an investor and you should sure. have, you should want that advice and that kind of thing. But at some point, you're well, the business owner now. You've got to make decisions based on what your business is, is doing. No doubt. No doubt. So th- I know those we, things do come up. I know we kind of did a deep dive on the, on the, on the legacy yeah. entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. but there's so many other entrepreneurship um, subcategories, if I may. Um, let's talk about startups and innovation. Mm-hmm. What, when I say innovation, what is what's the definition in, in the Steve Bryant world of what innovation means or yeah, what it is? A, that's a good one. I guess if you, it's kind of like entrepreneurship. If you ask a hundred people, you get a hundred different answers. Yes. <laughs> For me, it's somebody that just is passionate about making something better, solving a problem, improving a product, improving a service, seeing something that nobody else out there is doing. That's where I think innovation, and it's not just a, a technology per se. You know, yeah, we're going to automate this thing necessarily it's you know it's a process thing you know the innovation is a process a continual process you ought to be looking at that's kind of what i define it as and it, you know maybe somebody walking in here who has a better back scratcher you know to sell on the internet for 30 dollars more well if you find an innovative way to do that and make money all great well if you have a software tool a mobile app you know a new medical device product you know those are different types of innovations but you know okay those are those are also things that involve technology right. that need expertise to know if the market's out there and, and other things like that. So Right. Well, and sometimes uh, you can provide uh, not just the resource of, of the business plan and, mm-hmm. and all that because when you have innovators there, again, they're not necessarily looking at the numbers per se, but also you can refer them probably to some expertise and, and some uh, resource to them that can help them ideate and create. Yeah, we're sitting here at the Purdue Foundry today. Yes. They're, they're an organization I would... Send people to because there are great people within the Purdue network that are technology experts, mm-hmm. innovation experts, uh, maybe experts in pricing strategy for a certain type of product through their business programs. Sure, um, you know Indiana University has some. Rose Holman's nearby. Cranes right. here. That you know, if it's a defense technology, they have people inside that will look at your stuff. I mean, they have Absolutely. intellectual property assistance through IU. Absolutely, and all states have. Um, all states have. I mean, Purdue is very robust mm-hmm. when it comes to that. But uh, when you're really looking at, um, you know, this country, there are, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, higher ed Mm -hmm. and how they can help and and everything. I know in Iowa, Iowa State has an incredible entrepreneur um, uh, business development piece. Uh, They're the land grant, too. But University of Northern Iowa has the Entrepreneur and Business Center, Mm -hmm. which is doing some crazy good next generation things. Mm -hmm. So. 
Um, true story, I lived in Iowa for a couple of years, and I moved to Indiana, and entrepreneurial-wise, they, Iowa was, I'll be frank, I was ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> I won't say how long, how much, yeah, but, right. you know, they were ahead. But uh, so far, that's even the playing field. I think, you know, when you look at the Midwest and you look at uh, beyond those borders, sure, you got, you know, more entrepreneurial hubs in the urban centers on the coast, and maybe there's something here and there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Louisville's got, got a good um, um, entrepreneur piece. Mm-hmm. It does trickle alive and well in the rural, rural communities. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on co-working spaces, especially in rural? I think they're great. I mean, co-working spaces took over where the old business incubators left mm-hmm. off, and business incubators were, you know, basically a real estate model. The problem for a you know freelance uh, writer, somebody working on a new product, is you know, most of those incubators wanted three-year lease. <laughs> you know, to be there, well, I don't know if my business is going to be started and going in six months. I can't right. sign a three-year three lease. In the meantime, you're saddled with two and a half years of a bill. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just I, I just saddled myself with amazing debt, you know, yeah. if, if this doesn't work. Well, you know, when you're trying to eliminate risk when you're a startup, that's all you do all day long is figure out, all right, how soon is somebody going to start paying me for what I want to do? Um, and co-working has solved that. Through, I mean, it's more like a membership model. It's, you know, okay, I'm... I just want access to the building two days a week, and it's $25 a month. Okay, great. I can afford that as a startup. Um, or I just want to come to the networking events and you know, take advantage of the postage meter that's here in the mail slot or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or, hey, I want a dedicated desk you know, for my, for my business with an office. It costs me $100 a month. Right. Or I've got a team of three, but we're really not ready yet to know if we can move into really higher dollar space on the square right. you know, in, in, in Main Street, you know, USA. Uh, but, you know, I'll know that in six months. Can I just do, do six months uh, membership here and you know, have an office and all of that? And if we grow, we're great. And then you get to bounce your ideas off the other people who are there sure. because there's people from different disciplines. I mean, to it's really, me, that's innovation there. Yes. Oh, very much. before you, you know, to me, those collisions, those are happy collisions. Yes, absolutely. With, with collaborating with, with people that are getting out of their garages and actually getting into a space where they can actually launch. Right. And that's, again, where if, if I'm an attorney, a banker, you know, a... Uh, Somebody who understands lease negotiation contracts. I mean, if you're if you find those kind of people that you're bumping into in the hallway, and hey, yeah, can you explain to me what this means and how I deal with this? Because I don't have time. I don't have two hundred dollars to go sit down with an attorney today, you know, or the accountant. I mean, I want to use right. my my resources that I don't have yet right. as wisely as I can, and that's why I always tell them, hey, your attorney and your banker, or your lawyer, your accountant, they're there to help you. But you've got to pay those people at some point sure. because they're that's worth that's money worth investing. In. Oh, absolutely. But you don't want to go, you know, have a round robin conversation with your accountant for three hours, you know, BSing more than anything right. else when he's charging you two hundred dollars an yes. hour. You want to focus on what you really need done and yeah. answered so that they can do what they do best. Um, because otherwise, they're going to have to bill you for those things. Their their time is money as well. But right. If you can get that through co working relationships, I think they're very valuable and they're not really that hard to do. Right. And usually the the the. The accountants and the lawyers that work in a co-working space are fairly altruistic enough. First off, they're happy to, to do some degree of pro bono, you know, lend some advice because advice is always free. But the long-term game is when one or two or 10 or 12 of those businesses actually launch, mm-hmm. it may, dare I say, even become gazelles, they're going to remember that lawyer and that Absolutely. accountant and they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to hire them right. and I'm going to pay them the big bucks now. Yep. To keep me out of jail. Exactly. <laughs> more or less. That's very true. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other thing about co-working spaces is, as you know, there's there's a lot of more programming going on. And the programming is as important as anything else. Hey, you uh, know, somebody's going to come in and talk about how to sell your uh, product on Google more effectively. Okay, everybody's going to show up for that because everybody wants to know how to do that, who's in online sales or yeah. has a website, whatever. 
um, you know, intellectual property. If they're, you know, if they're trying to think about doing a patent for something and somebody has some expertise, they'll come in and sit on, on that. Um, you know, accounting, you know, sometimes is boring, you know, but you have to know how you to do to, it. Yes. You at least have to know if your accountant's taken from you. Right. <laughs> you know, as much as anything, or your bookkeeper, if you have somebody that you're, ex, you know, outsourcing. Wait, I come so. I only have $3. What yeah, is this? No yeah. doubt, yeah. Or, you know, a lot of co-working spaces are hosting pitch competitions, idea mm-hmm. pitch competitions, which are really good to own your presentation yes. skills and, you know, how to quickly Well, I think anybody, I think everybody within... <laughs> All three of you, everybody within the sound of my voice should really go to one of these pitch competitions. They're or, great. Or, you know, and let's talk, about, let's talk about virtual. I mean, you're talking about internet and, and app, app development, things like mm-hmm. that. People can do that with the power of the broadband. Yep, sure can. Um, in rural areas, I mean, there's, there's middlemen. They, all they have to do is take parts or order them and then deliver them somewhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. So uh, how critical is it nowadays for broadband? If you don't have broadband, you can't get on the internet. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you can't have a business. This from an expert, <laughs> folks. Get broadband. I've heard it multiple times from <laughs> yep. people saying, "Hey, you know, I just can't. I'm on the last mile, you know, on this road, and I can't yeah. do my business from home, which is where I'd prefer it. So I have to go do it in town." We are a mobile society now. Or I work out of the library, or yep. you know, I mean, honestly, people come to Ivy Tech in Bloomington mm-hmm. and hook up to our Wi-Fi and do their thing there because they don't have it at all. Right. You know, you can't do online classes without an internet connection. No, at least no, a solid one. So it, it's it's absolutely critical, and for small business, probably even more so. Right. I want to talk about failure mm-hmm. real quick. Um, well, I'm just going to. Why do restaurants fail? <laughs> why do restaurants fail? Let's see. Restaurants are high risk. Nobody nobody funds them. Nobody you know sugar daddies them really. You know why 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 do you take um, an industry like that or service most service industries? Why do they why why is there a lot of failure there? You know, I, I think the restaurants that I go to the most, if the owner is there when I'm there, I feel that that is being well-managed. When they're not there, they're being mismanaged because it's not, at the end of the day, they're the other person's business. You may have a poor manager that's, you know, when the boss leaves, hey, everybody's getting a free drink or, right. you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take some stuff out the back door. That happens a lot in the restaurant business. So, you know, the ones that the owners and are family-owned, they're there all the time, you know it's being well well run and they're usually ones that stick around longer I mean the other reasons they fail I mean the food may not be very good I mean they may have you know a major construction project you know in their front door for six months that you know yeah. takes half their sales I'm thinking away. about a certain coffee shop down down downstate about about that mm-hmm. I mean that's, got closed, you know, and, and that's not something they probably foresaw when they decided yeah. to put the business there but uh, that location makes you know makes a, a difference um, and again, it could be poor training. I mean, it could be lots of things. I mean, just trends and, you know, I mean, subways are everywhere, you know, but subways still go out of business. And, right. and, you know, but the, sometimes it's the franchise, you know, puts these onerous uh, decisions on you and you're buying a business model where you have to buy from them. You have to buy through their suppliers. You have to use their marketing stuff. You've got to pay them a certain percentage of your profits back in order to get access to the TV advertising right. for Subway, for instance. Or pay the health inspector. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and if that goes up, you know, say it goes up 2%, you know, from yeah. last year, okay, well, that's 2% less profit you have. Yep. How are you going to make that up, you know? Right. Um, and a lot, of the, a lot of restaurants, it's hard to find people. Yeah. It really is. I mean, people that, that care and want to be there and care about the customer service and all that. Um, I mean, there's multiple reasons that, that they fail. Sure. But there's sure. a lot of reasons that um, some of them are successful. I mean, look at, you know, St. Elmo's in Indianapolis. I mean, world-renowned. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they've been there a $20 million business now, at least. They're reputable. And yeah. So and so I'm asking this purposely because, um, and you, you can maybe talk me off the ledge or, or educate me on this. 
I'm convinced that anybody who opens a restaurant can be successful or anybody who opens up a business can be successful if they have proper management right. of the business end of things. That they, that they look at their profit sheet, they look at their cash flow and they look at their profit sheet and realize for the first few years of your business, that's not profit. Right. That's what you got to invest right back into your business. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't understand that. When, when, you know, you're, you're driving a new Lamborghini, mm-hmm. when that Lamborghini really needed to pay for an upgrade on, you know, you know, piece of equipment or yeah. something like that. So um, am I off base on this or? No, I think that, that having the, the business of a restaurant is the important part because a lot of people can cook. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you people say, oh yeah, everybody in my family thinks I can cook. I'm thinking about opening a restaurant. Okay, well, what do you know about inventory control? Do you know what a profit and loss sheet and balance sheet looks like? Do you have a clue what hiring people and maintaining, you know, standards of training are? No, no, and no. I think, okay, well, you need to think about these things before you do this. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be successful without it. You can learn it along the way as long as you're diligent and you care. If you have passion for it, you can make it happen. But that's that's a reason I see a lot of them go go off the path early. And, you know, our entrepreneurship program at Ivy Tech is – essentially designed for what What do you need to know six months before you start? What do you need to know six months after you start to okay. keep you there? You know, that's kind that's of, good. you know, it gives you that kind of foundational mm-hmm. knowledge. And you don't have to know all of that very, very deep. You know, you don't have to be the accountant per se, but you at least have to know some basics about your numbers and what these fiscal sheets are telling you every month. Sure. Because we got that a lot from existing businesses. They'll come in and say, hey, I, I'm going to show you my books. I have no idea if I'm making money. I got money coming in. I got money going yeah. out. I just know I'm starting to dip into my checking account a little more than I used to. cash flow sheet. Right. Do you have cash flow? What's cash flow? And we can do a break-even analysis and tell you what you need to be hitting in order to get that. But they just don't know how to do it. I see. And it's a simple simple calculation. And, you know, those kinds of things are invaluable. And that's stuff we help with. I still get some phone calls every now and then. I want to open up a a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then nothing after that. Yeah. And it's like, okay. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Go talk to one of the other restaurant owners. They'll really tell you all you need to know. You really, you really don't want to. So, oh, yeah. Is there anything that I'm missing in, in our conversation in terms of entrepreneurship and building capacity? Well, you said you wanted to talk about failure a little bit. And I yeah. think failure is one of those things where it, it's, it's, it's something we teach in our entrepreneurship program. It's something we talk to entrepreneurs about all the time. Hey, you know, failure is okay. It's part of life. It, it's something you should not fear, yeah. per se. And, you know, it's not something necessarily to be celebrated, per se, every every year. I don't want to be the failure in everything in life. But you need to be learning things from that. I mean, there are people who have run very successful technology businesses that have completely failed in the past venture. The only reason they got funded by, a, you know, an investor or, uh, or, or got hired by a management team was, they wanted them to know what it was like when the chips are down. They were going to yeah. stick with it. You know, again, those things do happen, and they're good. They're good learning experiences. We talk about how people have screwed it up so many times. I mean, our every adjunct instructor we have for our program are all business owners or former business owners. They're using their experiences out there. Hey, boy, I wish somebody would have told me not to do my loan this way. You know, boy, I I didn't need to take out that hundred thousand dollar loan. I could have just done a fifty thousand dollar equity line of credit. Why would I want to pay on something every month? that I didn't really need it, you know. Yeah. Whereas an equity line of credit, you only pay on it if you're using it, you know, things of that sort, and they just hadn't ever really thought about it. Because you're so focused on getting it going and so passionate about what you want to do to get it there yeah. that you're not stepping back and saying, hey, I want to work on the business, not in the business. That happens a lot. And there are some fail-fests fail type events yes. around Indiana. I think there's one in Terre Haute coming up, yeah. um, which if somebody's got a chance to go, it's it's fascinating. I mean, we've, a couple of these I've been to, they, they've given an award for the worst failure. I mean, just made had some fun with it. It's like, uh, man, I really screwed that one up. Boy, you just, 
Yeah, but but well, that's, you, and but, they have good story to tell. You know, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's like I'm glad it failed. You know, it was never going to work. Know? You know, yeah, it wasn't my fault. The whole thing caught on fire, and you know, <laughs> there's blood everywhere. But that's all right. You know, even in our entrepreneurship courses, we probably less than ten percent of our students actually go start the business after they learn what it's really going to take. Yeah. And if we're doing any service at all, we're mm-hmm. telling them here's how it's really going to be. Here's all right. the things you got to be thinking about. Yep. And honestly, I hear this from business owners all the time. If I'd have really known all this work that was going to have to go into it, I would not have done it. I just kept working for somebody else. Yep. But thank God people are doing it. Right. You know? Or, you know, you, you um, and I'll allude to this uh, later on, but um, you almost want to talk people out of getting opening a business so that you can understand whether or not they're serious or not. Right. I mean, there's some people that come in, and you can tell. They're, they're going to do it no matter what. Right. I mean, my job is really just to say, hey, have you thought about these things? Here's what I think you need to be working on. I'm yeah. giving you free advice. It is, it, right. it's, it's worth the price of what you right. what you paid me. Nothing. We don't want to step on your passion, but yeah. have you? Yeah, have you thought? I'm of just it? telling you about the 50 other people who have been here who had the same problem, and you're yeah. going to run into it too. And as long as you've thought about it, and I've told you about it, I feel good. You know, okay. even if it doesn't work, you know, I mean, at least I told you that. All right. You know, or sometimes I said, man, I'm glad you said that because, man, you saved me three weeks of doing research on Google to find mm-hmm. this one little thing that I just, that's all I needed. Right. Okay, great. I did my work today. I'm a connector type, as I mentioned. Sure. So sure. that's, that's, and that's what I enjoy is, hey, it's, I, 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 it's not my idea you're bringing to me. I just want you to be successful with yours because I have had people walk in saying, I have this great idea. I want you to do this for me. Basically, it's like, well, it's not my business. It's yours. I'm not going to write your business plan for you and do all this marketing right. research for you. I'll tell you where the tools are and get you some information for free. But Being that resource is incredible. It. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I can be a continued resource for 10, 15 years. We want that relationship mm-hmm. with business owners because you're going to run into things as you grow. You know, you may, it, it may just be you for a certain mm-hmm. period of time. And boy, I got to hire that first person. Man, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I have the money for it. I just, I don't know if I can make that decision. But if I do, what, where do I start? I mean, right. do I have to follow some paperwork somewhere? Or what do I tell my, you know, accountant? You know, mm-hmm. what do I got to do? So, I mean, our job is to kind of, answer some of those questions and point them to where they can find those resources sure. fast. And no matter what, whether you, you know, back to failure, but no matter what, if you not decide, if you decide not to open up a business ever again, or if you decide to move on, the key is you got to move on. You got to be able to yeah. wake up in the morning with, you know, gusto and passion and figure out yep. where you got to go. And one of the reasons I got into this entrepreneurship thing is I thought, well, you know what, I'll probably have an idea at some point of something I want to do. My problem is I've had so many experiences with others that have failed. I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Thought I wanted to run a bar at one point. I'm like, I do not want to run a bar. <laughs> no, there is no way in hell I would run a bar. I wouldn't want to run a bar because I know where the alcohol might go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd give half of it away. That's my, that's my nature. So, yep. <laughs> But if nothing else, it's, it's good training for me. I'm getting all this free consulting every day and getting paid for it. Sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Life is good. Life is good. That's so right. um, uh, one final question. What's your take on Shark Tank? I love it. I yeah. love Shark Tank. Yeah, I mean, the thing I've always found fun about Shark Tank, if you look who gets funded, it's people mm-hmm. who have sales, have customers, have contracts. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. And patents. And those that yeah. don't and fumble through the whole discussion of how they came up with this right. uh, this massive valuation, yeah. even though they have no money. My Uncle Chandler died. Yeah, yeah. well, I, we think we're worth $2 million because I have this patent. Well, no, you don't have anything. You don't have right. any sales yet. So it's fun to watch the sharks mm-hmm. just, you know, just zero in on those right. individuals. But, I mean, but remember, it's a TV show. At the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the way that they do the production. You yep. kind of come out looking like the doofus or, you know, the genius, you know, right. depending on how they feel that day. Well, sometimes I get angry because I know that some people that go on that show just want it for the commercial commercialization. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it's shrewd. It's good. It's great marketing. But, but in at the end of the day, you know, the purpose is to maybe have the sharks, you know, elevate your business mm-hmm. a little more. Yeah. And, and that's part of the thing. I mean, if they're investing in your business, mm-hmm. they are personally investing in your business. Yes. It's not the TV show. Yeah. And one thing that people don't know is, you know, to apply, you have to send in a video initially. And if they like your video, you can get this one inch thick contract from Mark Burnett Productions, Mark there Burnett, the survivor yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. That says you're writing, you're giving away 5% of your lifetime earnings for your company because that's the value of the marketing you're going to get through the TV show. And you have to make that decision. Is that worth it or not? You know, whether you, whether you do anything with the sharks or not. Right. And, and a lot of those deals that get, that say they get done, don't actually get done. Some of them do, some of them mm-hmm. don't. And that's kind of the, the thing they're trying to do now is show that some of those have kept going. Because right. I think they were starting to get the... Um, You've got your little marketing piece now. You can go and... Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that can only go so far. I mean, if your product yeah. stinks or your service right. is terrible, you're not going to survive anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, they're also motivated by their investing in your business. True. You know, but, I, I don't know. I, I think of things a little weirdly that um, I, I want to know who they pay to feed the fish. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. probably the person making the most money on the show. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> They're actually getting a check. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, this has been an absolute pleasure. I hope I can get you on this future episode to talk more about this. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very glad for and thankful that you that you uh, came on and, and gave us better perspective on entrepreneurship, innovation, and the whole nine yards. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And actually, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to, I'm going to. I usually at the end of my episode, I do a resource. I, I, what I like to do. Uh, the purpose of this uh, podcast is to have people who listen some kind of tangible resource that they can either go online or, mm-hmm. or have something and they're taking notes that they can use as, as they move forward. So I'm going to say what I'm high on and then I might flip it back to you to, to talk to us about more resources. So, okay. sure. um, so thank you again. You're welcome. And uh, do you have a Twitter handle or? I do not. Okay. All right. We, well, we'll put we'll put uh, the link up on uh, the website okay. for for that, and Great. we'll go from there. So, um, I'm high on small towns that work with high schools to open up businesses that are supported by the community. Um, I've I've seen a couple of communities out there that, and I'm not going to name them, that um, uh, the business the, one of the business teachers at the high school, um, and I'm talking in a rural setting, uh, they actually have a class where. Uh, they own a bakery, and the town gives up some some empty storefront, and they do go through all the inspections and the and the permits and everything. And uh, the business teacher teaches these kids entrepreneurship for an entire year, and that whole entire year, they run a bakery. And the there's usually a junior or senior that's the manager, and they're in charge of everything. And um, it's it's both you know successes and lessons learned because the business teacher is not going to interfere with the business unless you know the business is really going south. But um, it it really it, I, I really like the concept of connecting K through twelve kids and um, the possibility of them uh, owning a business uh, along there. So uh, that's one thing. Uh, I also want to uh, I'm high on the Kaufman Foundation. I have been for years. Um, a long time ago, and um, I don't know if Steve wants to chime in on this. I, I was trained as a Kaufman facilitator for Fast Track, which was one of their one of their keynote program. um, um, programs. You know, that was a couple lifetimes ago, and I've seen the difference in what Fast Track can do. But I've also seen how much that's been innovated into, um, like you said, into this sort of co-working space piece to where. You know, with Fast Track, you had the list of all of you know, the resources, but the resources now have a place to go to. So that's 
that's great. And Kaufman does some really crazy good stuff. I would I would encourage you to check out the Kaufman Foundation website. And then I mentioned Iowa before. Um, they've evolved a lot in terms of uh, the University of Northern Iowa's Center for Business Research. Um, they have now what's called Iowa SourceLink, and it's a place where all any any entrepreneur can go for resources uh, beyond um, some SBDC resources, um, and they can get some advice. And uh, you know, we talked about higher ed in this in this episode. Um, higher ed is there for you to help you uh, succeed, uh, both not just in the four year traditional sense but also in an economic development sense. So it's good to engage those higher education institutions with that. So um, in terms of resource time, I'd like to turn it back over to Steve. And if you want to uh, sort of divulge some resources that the Cook Center and SBDC has, um, feel free. I'm giving you the, the microphone to do that. I love a free paid advertising. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I look at Ivy Tech as a partner. Um, I mean, not just the courses that we offer. I mean, we do you know, corporate training externally. If your company needs customized training, we do that. Um, I mean, we are a makerspace. Ivy Tech's got, I mean, equipment for 25 different programs that the com- community can actually access. They, we don't really advertise it because we use it for academic purposes, but you know, we've got 3D printers there. We've had people come in and say, hey, I just need a 3D printer prototype. Can we, can we use your printer? Mm-hmm. And we probably let them use it. Or we've got little laboratory uh, equipment that some of our local life sciences companies you know, don't use very often, right. but they need once in a while. So let me be clear. The idea is not to have them do a production run, but just to have something Correct. onesie or twosie. Because right. the last thing Ivy Tech wants to do is get into the biz- manufacturing business. Right, exactly. you know, okay, yeah, it's not I really got you. Our, it's not our mission. But on the other hand, we're there to help people yeah. do something interesting, too. Because, I mean, our, our school of technology, we've done this with ours. We've had a few entrepreneurs come in and say, hey, I, I don't have access to a 3D printer. I or I can't, you know, afford this prototyping center across the country or in China. You know, can you guys just run something for me? As long as you've got a design or they can help you with the design as part of a class, for instance, if you need it, um, you know, they can run it. They may have to charge you for the composite that they use for it. Maybe it's 20 bucks. I don't know. But that's something that the college is willing to do. And, you know, Sue Elsperman's come in as our new president over the last couple of years, and she's high on entrepreneurship. Oh, goodness, and yes. Co-working <laughs> and co-working and community integration. So, I mean, look to look to Ivy Tech as a partner and, and again, get a hold of your local campus to see if there's anything they, they can provide for you. And sometimes you just got to ask. You know, there may be a faculty member that loves what you're doing and wants to use it as a class project for marketing or, sure. you know, biz, not just marketing and business, but I mean, it could be one of the technology or computer science, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, internships, I mean, tons of internship opportunities. Our students are always looking for them. Often they don't have one and they don't know where to find one. So if you're looking for those things, reach out and, or go to ivytech.edu on the web and you okay. know, connect to your local Great. ones. Um, the other thing is that Indiana Small Business Development Center Network, which is a, a free resource to anybody in Indiana that's either starting or wanting to grow an existing business, um, isbdc.org. Go to the website if you want to connect to one of the, the free advisors throughout the state. We've got, gosh, probably 75 of us around Indiana, um, spread across 10 different regions. I run the region from Bloomington and Jasper uh, in Crawford County. Uh, we have lots of people that are there to, to be available to meet with you, to give you some advice, point you to resources, market research reports, whatever it is you kind of need. So if you go to the website, you can look at what 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 division of Indiana are in, in each region. You can plop on there, and it'll tell you which office to go to. You can email them or call them, and they'll they'll respond and set up, oh, set up time to go and connect you to all the other resources that we do out there. Terrific. Uh, you mentioned the Coffin Foundation. Fantastic organization. I mean, they do... More funded oh, research. On thanks for that validation. Oh my so, God, they're they're. I've been there. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it is, and uh, it, it's amazing what they they research entrepreneurship yep. and entrepreneurial 
styles and skills mm -hmm. and thinking and youth entrepreneurship programs. They help design them in a lot of cases and some, sometimes put grant money out there to launch some things across the U.S. Source Link, which you mentioned in Iowa, that was one of the Kaufman funded yes, initiatives. It was. Yep. Yeah, because we looked at it for Indiana, actually. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> still, still thinking about it, apparently. Yep. I was there when they launched uh, the the, proto, the the beta. Mm -hmm. Before SourceLink, it was another. It was uh, myentree.net. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, they would do what was called entree bashes, and so it would be regional bashes where entrepreneurs would come and mm -hmm. angel investors, and it would be this cacophony of mm -hmm. of ideas commingling along with strong drink and yep. money and keep you know. them creative ideas flowing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what you want. You ever been to Fairfield, Iowa? Uh, no. Oh, you need to go. It's it's very entrepreneurial. Oh, really. So, yeah, they've got a university there that stands a lot of those businesses up. Okay. That's oh, that's cool. cool. So, no, I'll have to learn more about it. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I said, there's a lot of resources in okay. India. I mean, the good, the good news is most communities have access to three or four or five organizations that yeah. are involved in entrepreneurship-related activities. You know, SCORE, which is the retired executives. Yeah. There's chapters in Evansville and Bloomington and other places in between. Uh, these are people who have retired after 30 years from, in many cases, and They've got a lot of expertise in manufacturing or in accounting or in nonprofit management, and they just want to be involved right. and help people kind of answer and it's questions. It's a good volunteerism too. piece for a retiree business person, absolutely. Or lawyer yeah. And some people just want to get involved. Hey, I'm I'm not really to hang it up, but I'm I don't want to show up somewhere forty right. hours a week anymore. But you know, I can show up a couple hours a week and talk to some people about their business and try to help improve it. You know, but uh, but by the way, I'm going to be snowbirding in Arizona from you know yeah. uh, December through you know, uh, call me April. Yeah, there you go, there you go, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, Steve, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us some resources. And um, uh, I want to uh, thank you again. And then I want to thank um, Bill Stein and Amy Moore, the producers of uh, What the Hell Does Mike This and Do, part of the Greater GSD Podcast Network. Um, and of course, Stephanie for the bumper. Until next time, this is Mike This and signing out. And now we know what the hell Mike This and Do. Jason Burton, Jason Burton, you're my hero.